Is God's true church required to practice polygamy or not? Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. We've done programs in the past, several times actually, explaining inconsistencies and contradictions of the changing God of Mormonism. Doctrine and Covenants 132 says the true church must practice polygamy, but Doctrine and Covenants official declaration number one says the true church must not practice polygamy. And so we ask, which is it, polygamy or not? We've always maintained that the polygamists are the true Mormons simply because they are the ones following Joseph Smith and his teachings just as closely, or even more closely, we should say, than the LDS Church does. When Joseph Smith first introduced polygamy into Mormonism, celestial marriage and polygamy were synonymous and are synonymous today with the polygamy groups. And the early Mormon women did not appreciate the idea of polygamy any more than they do today. In <laughs> In fact, Brigham Young said this. Yeah, in the Journal of Discourses, he said, Our sisters need not be worried about any doctrine. Brother Penrose said it would be better for them if they believed in the doctrine of polygamy. But they do believe it. They know it's true, and that is their torment. It perplexes and annoys many of them. I want to say this much. The sisters do believe it. You take a woman in this church who does not believe in the doctrine of celestial marriage or plurality of wives, and she does not believe anything at all about the gospel. And by and by she drops off and away she goes. But our sisters believe and know that this doctrine is true, and consequently they feel bound to abide it. Now, obviously, the females of that time were worried about the doctrine of plural marriage, and many Mormon women today worry about the doctrine of eternal plural right. marriage. There was apostasy in early Mormonism because of the polygamy doctrine. We have another quote from Brigham Young. Yeah. You will recollect, brothers and sisters, that it was in July of 1843 that he received a Joseph Smith, received this revelation concerning celestial marriage. This doctrine was explained, and many received it as far as they could understand it. Some apostatized on account of it, but others did not, and received it in their faith. So my question is, if celestial marriage means something different than polygamy, why would they apostatize on account of ceilings uh, in the temple. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't. They would apostatize because of polygamy, right. and that's what he's talking about. Another quote equating plural marriage with celestial marriage from Heber J. Grant. Yeah, that's like from a messages of, of messages of the first presidency. It says, "We formally taught our people that polygamy or celestial marriage, as commanded by God through Joseph Smith, was right." that it was, a it was a necessity to man's highest exaltation in the life to come. Okay, so he... Bold so, statement. Yeah, it's a very bold statement. <laughs> yeah. And again, as we're going to talk about later on, God doesn't change his plan of salvation. Yeah, and so here they're true. saying how important it is. Another one uh, we want to quote. 
Yeah, this is from a, a book, David Berger's book. Celestial marriage was applied to and equated with plural marriage until the late 19th century. Okay, so now we're getting to the history of when the definition of the terminology changed. When Wilfred Woodruff presented the manifesto um, in, in 1890, true to form, right. the church proceeded to redefine what the original section 132 meant. And the term celestial marriage began to change to mean temple ordinances and eternal sealings rather than its original definition of polygamy. So LDS women, according to original Mormon doctrine, are commanded to live plural marriage or be damned. They are not eligible for exaltation without it in this life. And LDS men are also required right. to take multiple wives in this life and if they want to enter celestial heaven and become a god. Now, polygamy purportedly came direct from the mouth of God, as we've seen these people say, and God doesn't change ever. So we have been looking at pure and simple, original, orthodox, Mormon doctrine regarding polygamy. Now, polygamists need to remember this, that the Book of Mormon condemns polygamy. Yeah, yeah. God calls it an abomination in the Book of Mormon. He forbids it. Of course, there's Jacob 2.30, but we are also aware and need to remind our viewers that God will never require children to be born through a practice like polygamy that he has previously condemned, which is what Jacob 2.30 is teaching could happen. God is not a God of confusion, and He never changes His requirements regarding righteousness and salvation, ever. According to the King James Bible, Mormon polygamy was wrong when Joseph Smith started it. That means he was a false prophet, yeah. which also means Mormonism, with or without polygamy, cannot be true, which means it should be abandoned by everyone. And besides all that, Jesus is all we need anyway. So why not just turn to him and reject polygamy, Joseph Smith, and all that other stuff? I think one of the greatest frustrations when communicating with LDS and polygamous is the terminology differences. Yeah, big difference. And that probably shocked you when you it started is. studying Christianity, the differences oh, absolutely. And, in the, in and the how definitions. they're defined. Mm -hmm. We have devoted a lot of shows um, uh, on differences of scripture and doctrine and interpretation and requirements for eternal life as taught by Mormonism versus Christianity. But we want to focus right now on a comparison of the word gospel and its biblical definition as well as its content. We'd like to compare what the gospel of Mormonism is with what the gospel of Jesus Christ is because the gospel that polygamists and LDS teach is not the gospel as defined in the Bible. The same gospel that was has been saving sinners and was saving sinners long before Joseph Smith ever took a breath of life. Mormonism has redefined the word to mean something God never intended it to mean. And so I, I'd just like to ask you at this point, um, am I correct in saying that the LDS gospel means the doctrines and the commandments and the teachings of the LDS church? Uh, that no. the true gospel of Jesus Christ was lost and, and then had to be restored in 1830? Yeah, I think when I understood the word gospel, I, I considered everything, the temple, prophets, the restoration, and the apostasy originally, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, all of that was what I considered the gospel, I guess. So the I gospel just, was a compilation of a lot of well, different it, it, Yeah, it's just all encompassing. I didn't, never, I didn't have a narrow focus of 
that this was the gospel, of, and now I say a uh, gospel of Joseph Smith because it's so added to what mm -hmm. the simple gospel in the Bible Ac is. According to what the Bible teaches, yeah. 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 Well, let's see what Bruce R. McConkie said about it. <laughs> and so when he says this, a Mormon listening to this, I think, uh, will say exactly what Bruce R. McConkie is saying here. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the plan of salvation. That's our whole big picture. Mm -hmm. It embraces all of the laws, principles, doctrines, rights, ordinances, acts, powers, authority, and the keys necessary to save and exalt men in the highest heaven hereafter. Okay, so that's pretty inclusive. Yeah, it's pretty expansive there. Yeah. Joseph Fielding Smith said the gospel is the everlasting covenant, is the new and everlasting covenant, yeah. which is the sum total of all gospel covenants and obligations. That's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff to be doing. But that's not what section 132 says the new and everlasting covenant is. Joseph yeah. F. Uh, Fielding Smith goes on to say this. Now, there is a clear-cut definition in detail of the new and everlasting covenant. It is everything, the fullness of the gospel. So marriage properly performed, baptism, ordination to the priesthood, everything else, every contract, every obligation, every performance that pertains to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, all who seek a place in the kingdom of God are under the obligation and commandment to abide in the new and everlasting covenant, which is the fullness of the gospel with all its rights, covenants, gifts, and obligations, or they shall be damned, saith the Lord. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now, we're going to find Brigham Young saying something different about this in just a minute. <laughs> but, but this kind of teaching is, is the heavy-handed, heavy-burdened, impossible yeah. gospel that we were taught yep. uh, growing up in the polygamy group. Totally impossible to live up to all the commandments that they put upon us and the obligations. Such a burden. Such <laughs> really. a burden, really, yeah. it is. And in fact, he just described bad news, not good news. That's and so and the true. word gospel, the definition, the biblical definition of gospel is good, good news, news, not bad news, not burdensome news. The King James Bible describes the gospel as being God's provision for the forgiveness of our sins for our eternal glory by his grace, not by our works through and because of the death of Jesus Christ as full payment for our sins and his resurrection from the grave, which proves that his sacrifice was accepted and sufficient. Now, that's good news. Yeah, it is good news. And, and, there's, and there's no celestial marriage attached to that. And there's no other way that anyone can escape God's judgment. And we quote what the Bible says yeah, the this is. Yeah, this is what Paul said the gospel was. And he said, if anybody preaches anything but this, right. even an angel he from heaven, eternally condemned. Yeah, and he says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel by which also ye are saved, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now that's good news. That's simple good news. And only the biblical explanation of God's gospel is good news. Yeah. The LDS and the polygamous gospel are bad news. They have no right using the word gospel to describe their plan of salvation, which contains no good news, just works, works, and more works, and lots and lots of tithing money, and just maybe God will let you in, but only because he owes it to you. Yeah. Polygamous, of course, follow the earliest Mormon teachings of what they claim the gospel is. For example, Brigham Young said this. 
I just love how bold these guys are. <laughs> yeah. Brigham Young said this, Hear it and mark it down in your logbook. The fullness of the gospel is the united order and plural marriage. And I fear that when I am gone, this people will give up these two principles, which we prize so highly. So there's the gospel <laughs> there's the in gospel, early Mormonism. According it's, to Brigham Young. It's not what the other prophets have said it is. And, and he said he feared that, that they would give it up. And his, he had right, he feared rightly. His fears were well founded because the LDS people did exactly that. But the polygamists didn't. Orson Pratt, talking on polygamy, said this. God has told us, Latter-day Saints, that we shall be condemned if we do not enter into that principle. If the doctrine of polygamy as revealed to the Latter-day Saints is not true, I would not give a fig for all your other revelations that came through Joseph Smith the prophet. The Lord has said that those who reject this principle reject their salvation. They shall be damned, saith the Lord. And they go around saying, saith the Lord all the time. I don't know how, you know, maybe they think that they could lie like that, but they weren't struck with lightning that God didn't care. But, <laughs> I know. But, and, no fear of God at all. <laughs> no fear of God is true. Uh, and if what he said is true and God commanded condemnation for all who refuse to practice polygamy in this life, then the LDS religion as we know it today is false. It's true. And it's in apostasy. And the likes of Warren Jeffs and Paul Kingston should rule and reign the more Mormon kingdom. Now that is bad news, but this is what true Mormonism is. It is. LDS leaders have spoken and they contradict one another. So who can you believe and how can you trust any of them? We wonder what it's going to take for folks to, to realize that they've been led astray by false doctrine, false prophets, and a false gospel, and that's why we do what we do. Yeah. God's true gospel is genuine good news. It's the real thing, and it does not and has never included polygamy. It's all about and only about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, we're going to take another tone right here, going on a little different trail. It seems that some LDS people are finally beginning to admit that Joseph Smith not only was a polygamist, but that he did have sex with his wives. Now, strangely enough, many of them continue to deny, to deny the facts or throw out some very odd justification for Smith's behavior. A former member of a polygamy group using the alias Deconstructor has listed some excuse me, some very good reasons why we can know that sex was involved in Joseph Smith's polygamous marriages. And I got this information, some of this information from mormoncurtain.com. We're going to present some of his reasons that we can know he had sex with his wives with the hope that followers of Joseph Smith will finally see his actual behavior uh, his actual character through this behavior and turn from him and turn to Jesus instead. Be so, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so first of all, Joseph Smith's revelation on polygamy was for the specific purpose of having children. Right. Brigham Young said this. This is the reason why doc the doctrine of plural plural I'm sorry this is the reason why the doctrine of plurality of wives was revealed that the noble spirits which are waiting for tabernacles might be brought forth So that's what they're saying Populate there Populate the earth Now doctrine and covenants 132 verse 63 warns 
that if one or either of the ten virgins or ten wives that it's talking about, if she, after she is espoused, uh, and if she would be with another man, that she's committed adultery. Now that's is sexual activity. Yeah. So, so we have to ask the question: They didn't become plural wives to end up being celibate the rest of their lives on earth. That's, that's ridiculous. Right. So, obviously, it included sex. Now, the second reason he mentions is the Book of Mormon says polygamy could be commanded to raise up children, which yeah. we've already discussed And you've referenced Jacob 2.30. It says, For if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, I will command my people, otherwise they shall hearken unto these things. Okay, so why would Joseph Smith take plural wives for any other reason? Yeah, just to raise seed. That's what the Book of Mormon says. Exactly. And, and Brigham Young said that yeah, as well. Yeah. The third point that he made is that Joseph Smith's son wanted to clear his father from charges that he had sex with his plural wives. He interviewed several of them and subsequently had to agree that their relationships included sex. On October 12, 1905, state president Angus M. Cannon discussed this incident with Joseph Smith III and his son Frederick. He asked Cannon, where are the children uh, in evidence that my father was had plural wives. And Cannon said this. <laughs> I will now refer you to one case where it was said by the girl's grandmother that your father, Joseph Smith, had a daughter born of a plural wife. The girl's grandmother was Mother Sessions. Aunt Patty Sessions asserts that the girl was born within the time after your father was said to have taken the mother. Taking the mother. Taking the mother. <laughs> yeah. Now, DNA has subsequently shown that Josephine was really not <clears throat> Joseph Smith's child, but in thinking that she was certainly indicates she had had sexual relationships with Smith. Or there couldn't have been a child Yeah, there all. couldn't have been. And to make it even more disgusting, Sylvia Sessions was also married to Windsor Lyon at the same time she was married to Joseph Smith. She had two husbands and sexual relationship with both of them. There is no creative justification that will ever make this okay. Now, the next reason that we can know Joseph Smith had sex with his plural wives is that several of his wives testified that he did. <laughs> Persindia Huntington, who was Norman Buell's wife and a plural wife with Joseph Smith at the same time, said that she did not know whether her husband, Norman, or if Joseph Smith was the father of her son, Oliver. Again, there's no way to justify this. Other records admit his marriages included physical enjoyment. We quote. Yeah, from William Clayton's journal. Joseph Smith's personal secretary records that on May 22, 1843, Smith's first wife, Emma, found Joseph and Eliza Partridge secluded in an upstairs bedroom at the Smith home. Emma was devastated. And she was, she and, and we told that story when we talked about his wife, the Partridge sisters. In the, in the transcript of the Temple Lock case, Emily Partridge said that she roomed with Joseph Smith the night following her marriage to him and said that she did have sex with him. Another one. Yeah, this one says, when Heber C. Kimball asked Sister Eliza R. Snow the question if she was not a virgin, although married to Joseph Smith, she replied, I thought you knew Joseph Smith better than that. <laughs> <laughs> 
obviously. Of a strong implication there. <laughs> oh, very strong there, yes. Yeah. So, the, so he gives the next reason that relatives of some of Joseph Smith's plural wives and also his confidants testified that Smith spent the night in the same bed with plural wives. We quote. Well, this is funny. Joseph was very free in his talk about his women. He told me one day of a certain girl and remarked, that she had given him more pleasure than any girl he had ever enjoyed. I told him it was horrible to talk like this. Now this is the prophet. Yeah. This is the prophet who is supposed to be so revered in the LDS religion. It's sad that he's looked up to like he is yeah. when we really see his character in these kinds of historical quotes. Joseph Smith paid a visit to Almira Johnson on May 16, 1843, and she confirmed their relationship. We quote. President Joseph and I went to Benjamin Johnson's to sleep. Johnson himself later noted that on this visit, Smith stayed with Almera as man and wife and occupied the same room and bed with my sister that the previous month he had occupied with the daughter of the late Bishop Partridge as his wife. Almera Johnson also confirmed her secret marriage to Joseph Smith. I lived with the prophet Joseph as his wife, and he visited me at the home of my brother, Benjamin F. So we see all of these um, yeah. affidavits that these women are admitting sure. that um, there was actual sexual activity between them and Joseph Smith. And the seventh and final one is that procreation was the emphasis of eternal progression and eternal families, which began with polygamy. Yeah. That's what it, all, it, was all, it was in the polygamy right. group. That's what it was all about. Yeah. And so it's foolishness to believe that, or even suggest that plural marriage was for any reason but sexual activity. There were 13 faithful women who were married to Joseph Smith who swore court affidavits that they did have sexual relations with him. And now we are what would you, what would you have said, by the way, as a, a good Mormon bishop, yeah, to this kind of thing about Joseph Smith? Well, what wife. we've just talked about. What would you have? You what know, would was, have been your I reaction? I was so ignorant of that. You know, I don't know. I would have, I guess, had to study it a little bit, but I probably would have pushed it off and not not wanted to get into it. Hmm. I would have been. Not afraid. I don't know what the word would is. Would you have believed it or thought it was just anti-Mormon rhetoric? Well, I would have believed that Joseph Smith had a justification for it or believed that it, at that point I believed polygamy was in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that Sarah mm -hmm. had had offered her, yeah. you know, Hagar yeah. and all that. I, I didn't really think about these others. I knew that David and Solomon had concubines. And but you didn't ever read the context of No, of I never what understood it, it. It just kind of glazes over. I don't know. And I think There's, that's the way most of them are doing. Well, and I the think it is. The polygamists do that same thing. Because a lot of this information now are in the gospel essays, and, mm -hmm. and they can yeah. actually, if they'll actually look and study and, and yeah. realize what Joseph Smith, and I really credit Joseph Smith III for coming out here, mm -hmm. and he eventually realized that, okay, there was polygamy. And, and if it wasn't for that, for his inquiries, we may we, not have all of this of good historical information. Yeah. So it's... Uh, okay, so let's talk about briefly about Mormons becoming gods. And that's part of this polygamy <laughs> it is thing, part of because it. you're supposed to do that in eternal families. Mm -hmm. And so becoming gods is what... You can't become a god unless you do polygamy. That's right. Uh, both the LDS and polygamists believe men can become gods. Now, polygamists following the teachings of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and other early prophets, believe polygamy is the required work to become a god. But the Bible teaches there's only one god ever, anywhere, and forever, and we cannot and will not become gods. 
a question that we have been asked is, well, what will we do in heaven if we aren't working towards Godhood? Well, for men, becoming a God is creating and populating, ruling and reigning, reigning over worlds. And for women, it's eternal pregnancy and childbearing as they share their God husband with other goddess wives. But since this isn't true, what will people do in heaven for eternity? Because that is a very long time. Um, and so we're going to answer it. But, you know, there really isn't any day-to-day -day detailed information in the Bible about what heaven and eternity is like. But even if there was, it's doubtful that they would believe it because there is information in the Bible about eternity and heaven and hell, and they don't believe that. So why would they believe it if there was more detail? <laughs> and if they don't believe what the Bible says about how to get there, why would they believe what it says about being there? We have a quote from John 3.12. Yeah, Jesus said this, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall, I be how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And that's exactly what, what he was saying, you know, that, that there's so much that he's told, especially John chapter 3 is a great chapter to read yeah. because he talks, he, he compares uh, eternal life with what's going on, you know, in the physical realm. Yeah. And, and Nicodemus is going, duh, I don't get it. <laughs> and so he was talking heavenly things. Obviously, those who people who don't believe the words and, and the promises of Jesus about this life will not believe what he has said about the next life. But for those who will trust Jesus and his word, there are plentiful hints and passages in the Bible about eternity. And we want to share one of the most profound. Yeah, this with. is from Revelation chapter 21, verses three through five. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And these words are trustworthy and true. Yeah. And, and you can, there's places in Psalms, there's places through the Gospels and through the New Testament and other places in the Bible where hints of eternity, glimpses into eternity, uh, into heavenly bliss is mentioned and hinted at. And... Um, and it's beautiful. It's certainly something different than the three degrees of glory that <laughs> the Mormons teach. Jesus told us that those who are forgiven much will love much. And so we will spend eternity expressing our deep and great love for God in Jesus Christ, who has forgiven all the sins of all those who are there. We'll spend a great deal of time yeah. thanking God and praising Him, well, and trusting, him. trusting that He has something great in store for us. I've had many people ask me about my temple marriage with Carla, mm -hmm. you know, and well, what do you think about that? And what are you going to be doing? And I said, well, we love each other. We just think God has more exciting things planned for us than we can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. And if we love each other, 
we'll, we'll associate with each other. So. Yeah, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what <laughs> God has in store, yeah. has laid up in store for those who love Him. But I don't think it'll be practicing polygamy and lots of wives. None of that. In <laughs> fact, that. Jesus said, no marriage in heaven. What your relationship will be, yeah. um, we don't know, but <clears throat> we know it's not going to be marriage as we know it here. Thank you very much. You I appreciate very you, good. Earl, very much. <clears throat> you know, in John 14, 6, Jesus said that he is the only way to the Father. But different religions claim they are the way to heaven. Some say each way is almost as valid as their way, but of course their way is best and offers the greatest glory. They invite us to join their church because they have what it takes to please God and earn eternal life. But we say Jesus has already earned our eternal life for us. We don't need their church or any rituals and ordinances made by man because we've got Jesus and he is is all we need. We don't need rules and ordinances of another gospel because eternal life is a gift of God's grace, not a payment for good works or polygamy. We cannot earn celestial glory. The cross of Jesus Christ did that and our only hope is to believe and receive His gift because He is all anyone needs. Thank you. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.